The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Can we get a cup of coffee in here, please? America, you've got a dog that needs walking. That's right, sunshine. Just put on a big pot of strong coffee and get ready to type your little hate mail with your opinions about kumbaya and flat earth insanity. Stand-up comedy? You want stand-up comedy? Well, we got, well, we've got sit-down comedy. It's time for Coffee with the Dog. You make me laugh. Well, <clears throat> wow, what, what happened to the voice there? Maybe I won't make you laugh. Maybe Ben Frank will make you laugh in about an hour or so. Maybe. But I probably won't. Unless I tickle you. Would you like me to tickle you? I could do that. Well, not you're not here, or I would. kind of thing I enjoy doing. Because Tickle is a kind of fortune. I don't know if you're aware. Good morning, folks. It is Thursday. Yes, Thursday, uh, July 27th, 2023. Wonderful day. Great night for being here. All that kind of bullshit that I don't really feel like I'm sincere about anymore. I just say the words. Uh, ben Frank. The Manchurian comedian will be here at ten fifteen. Ben's a funny guy uh, with an unusual backstory, and we'll we'll talk to him. If you're familiar with the Manchurian Candidate, that's what um, that reference is. And I'll let you figure it out later on. If you hang with me for an hour until Ben Frank comes on the show. Talk about the Manchurian Candidate a little bit. That mo- the original movie. I know there was a remake with Denzel Washington, but probably wasn't as good. I didn't see the remake. The original was good, but it had some really interesting, couple of several really interesting points about it that just made it very strange. If you're living under a rock, then you're probably in Iran. <laughs> Bad joke. Oh, my God. Somebody around here needs sleep. Yesterday, in front of Congress, three intelligence officers, three three former intelligence officers uh, were talking about UFOs and aliens. We want to believe. We really, 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 really want to believe. A couple of things that um, I want to highlight about the testimony yesterday. First of all, David Gross, who um, the former intelligence officer, uh, was asked by uh, several of the uh, committee people about the statement about uh, craft that are not of this earth. And 
he stuck by that. Not of this earth. What does that actually mean? Uh, it sounds like, you know, because if you want to say aliens built it, men from out of space or things from out of space built craft that we shot down or became came in possession of. You say that aliens built it. Not of this earth. Why are you being tricky with your language or careful with your language? That uh, the one uh, thing that uh, sticks out of me. Why, if if you believe aliens built this thing that you say you're in possession of, why not come out and say that? Why do you constantly need to cover it up in slimy language? Slimy language. That's what it is. Slimy language. Anyway, he was also pressed uh, to talk about what they recovered inside the craft. And he said, non-human biologics. Again, slimy language. What the fuck is non-human biologics? What do you mean by that? If you're talking about alien bodies, talk about alien bodies. You don't say non-human biologics. What the? You got DNA? What did you get? Nobody followed up with these questions. You let them say uh, non non-human biologics. Oh, you're talking about alien life. Yeah, alien life. Now, did anybody? And you can go look at the hearing tape because I didn't see one person ask for proof. The thing is, and here's a a quote from uh, NBC News. Three former military officials told Congress that they believe the government knows much more than the, about UFOs than it's telling the public. They believe. Believe doesn't make it true. And I know, and I called it the second I heard Gross say, Grush, whatever his name is. I, I don't pronounce people's names right. It's very disrespectful of me to be that way. The, the second I heard him say, Nine biologics. I said, people are going to jump on this and say, that he said it. That's all the proof you need. See, we told you. It's, he hasn't proven anything. And nobody's even asked him to prove anything. If I came up to you and said, I have an alien body back in my garage, wouldn't you ask to see it? Wouldn't you ask for some kind of proof? Or would you take my word? You take my word, really? Or and you jump out, well, that's all the proof we need. Matt Napo says they're there. David goes Grush was a former US intelligence official. Does that mean <laughs> we can take his word because he has that title of former US intelligence official and we don't have to ask him for proof? He can just say whatever he wants. And we can just have to say, well, that proves it. He said so. That's not the way it works, folks. And if you just jumping to that, perhaps I'm just going to suggest uh, that maybe your mind is a little too open. Maybe you want to believe too quickly. And I'm not saying they don't exist. Somebody said, well, uh, several people yesterday on social media. They have no doubt that intelligent life exists elsewhere in the universe. That's not what he's saying. 
Well, it's part of what he's saying, but it's it's not the point he's saying he's getting to. He's saying they're here, and we have them. That's a whole different ball game. Then I totally believe that in the universe. Of course, the universe is so big; the odds are probably uh, that there is intelligent life someplace. But and, and Billy Wayne Davis said it'd be arrogant to think we're alone in this universe. Yeah, it would be arrogant to think we're alone in this universe. It would probably be presumptuous. But wouldn't it also be arrogant and presumptuous to think that if there was an advanced civilization with the technology to come here, that they would find any reason, anything of value on this fucking dirty rock where we can't even have conversations about things that matter without really getting ugly well what is <laughs> what is in it for them the, the supposed non-human biologics i hate that fucking terminology what's in it for them to come here they're coming here uh, because they wanted to celebrate uh, mick jagger's 80th birthday oh by the way we we forgot to sing happy birthday to mick jagger if you want to right now no never mind or uh, bid farewell to Sinead O'Connor. Why? Why would they come here? What's the purpose of coming here? This is this is an important question. Before we jump to and just trusting people who say they believe and sit in front of Congress and give you the story, and nobody says, "Can you show me? Can you?" Can you take me to where the bodies are? You got film. You got and film and photographs are not going to cut it, by the way. But let's start there. You got film. You got and let's let's see how how real the fake film you have it. Uh, I I hate to be a curmudgeon, uh, and I'm not I'm not trying to push non-belief in this stuff. I'm just saying skepticism, healthy skepticism, and questioning these people is called for. Now, uh, Jared Maskowitz uh, asked uh, Grush uh, where the money comes from, from this stuff. And he said it's, mis- it's above congressional oversight. Nothing, nothing in America is really above congressional oversight. It means uh, they're slipping by. It, they're doing something illegal. But by the law nothing is above congressional oversight and bankrolled he said by misappropriation of funds so somebody is stealing your tax dollars congress doesn't know about it and he's making these claims but where's the proof of that we i mean wouldn't you expect your congress people your your representatives in congress when they hear that to say wait a minute this is a this is our ball game here, and you're telling us people are robbing from us and cutting us out of our authority. Can we ask some deeper questions about this? Who, what, what, and where? Blah 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 blah. blah, blah. No, it doesn't matter. Let's get on to the next question. Really, are these people actually listening to what they're hearing? It just makes no sense. Uh, and again, I, I think we really want to believe. I think there are so many people, um, Mueller, 
from uh, X-Files. There's so many I really want to believe, people, that this is enough. These people are sitting before Congress saying they believe such and such, they think such and such, or in some cases coming right out and saying we have non-biological. Why don't you fucking say aliens, damn it? Uh, <laughs> that's what I would be losing my mind, like gritting my teeth. Why won't you say the words? Give me this fancy non-biological human. Do you have bodies or not? What do you have? What exactly do you have? Don't give me any fancy bullshit. Uh, so I don't, I don't trust these hearings. I don't know what the, what we're supposed to take away from it. But I know nobody is really asking for proof, and there are people who are saying, "Well, that proves it. That proves it. This guy said it in Congress. That proves it. Case closed. We're done. Aliens exist. We have them." And they're here. And what does that mean for us? Well, it would be a major concern if we shot down. First of all, just step back for a second. We don't have the technology to travel to other planets. We don't have it. We can send probes to Mars. That's as close as we can get. Uh, we Or probes drones, whatever you want to call probes, <laughs> drone probes, <laughs> deep into the universe with unmanned um, craft. That's as far as we get. We haven't gotten to uh, your video froze. Oh, I, I didn't know. My video is frozen. Is that the case? Am I still frozen up? Um, I don't know. Am I? Somebody talk to me. Uh, connection is unstable if you're on Wi-Fi. Blah, I'm not on Wi-Fi. It's fucking... I got to do something about this. This... What the fuck is it? Chrome browser. I'll switch. I'll switch. In a minute, I will switch. How about that? But um, I just want to wrap up this thought, and then I'm going to play uh, a little pixelated but moving. That's fucking weird. This, this motherfucker. I'm going to switch browsers and and make it really quick. Uh, I am going to play a uh, play Donna uh, Shannon's piece so we can move on past this because we have a busy show and Ben Frank's going to be here. I just wanted to talk about that hearing. Now, remember, we don't have the technology to go to other planets. So anybody who has the technology to come here from super far away, just by that saying that they are more advanced than us. So shooting them down would not be in our best interest. Uh, we don't want to piss off people who are, are superior to us or be beings that are superior to us. And we don't know their intent and all this stuff. So if we happen to and get lucky and shoot one down, like I find that hard to believe if they have the technology to travel at light speed or close to it or evade all the hazards of the universe to come here for what? So that they could watch my show, maybe? If they have all that and they still get shot down by us, that's questionable right there. How, how do we get so lucky to shoot one of these things down? What are they here for? But also, what's their intent? 
would make me nervous. You, I think your first, you, you come back to when white people first came to North America. The idea was not to, uh, you know, start a war right away. Hey, peace, how's it going? Uh, can we get along? What are you here for? And then when you find out that, you know, they're the enemy, that's when the war starts. We go right to shooting them down. That makes no fucking sense at all. None of it makes any sense. Lots of questions. All I'm saying is just keep asking questions. Donna Shannon's uh, slightly irrelevant reviews is uh, here now. Let's let's move on. Let's play this piece so we can move on to the next hour. I will be back. And while this is happening, I'm going to change browsers. How about that? How about that? Uh, check it out. Hey everybody, it's Donna Shannon with yet another slightly irrelevant review. So if you haven't You know what? I screwed up. I when the browser was playing <laughs> playing that video. Well, I blew that. I'm going to start it again, but um, it's going to be a little different now. It's one of those days, folks. Technology letting me down again. I got to fix this first of all. Let's do this. Oh, he went black, did he? He went black. That was that's. Once you go black, you never come back. I came back. Now I'm all red. Everything is fucked up with the technology here. This is one of these days. It's going to be a day. Uh, too bright. Not bright enough. I'm not a bright person. What can I tell you? Fucking A. All right. I'm going to try this again. Try to play the video another way if I can. And hopefully, um, will this work? I don't know. Well, it works there. Let's see now. Can we get this happening? Oh, man, life is a bitch sometimes, folks. Let me tell you. Video file. Uh, here it is. Hey, everybody. It's Donna Shannon with... Yet another slightly irrelevant review. So, if you haven't heard of this series on Netflix, you're definitely going to want to check it out if you're kind of weird like me. I'm talking about Love, Death, and Robots. Uh, the series started in 2019, so there's three series out, uh, three seasons out right now. And here's what it is, in case you've never heard of it before. So it's a bunch of animated shorts that are, each and every one of them is different. And each episode is only anywhere from nine minutes to 20 minutes long at the far outside. Every single episode is its own standalone story. It's not like tied together in the same universe, like a Black Mirror kind of thing. But, um, you know, all kinds of genres. So science fiction, fantasy, horror... A little bit of comedy, but usually the comedy is going to be tinged either in the sci-fi or the horror realm. And you know how you see like trailers for video games and you're like, 
oh man, that animation is blowing my mind. I can't wait to play this game with these graphics. And then you get the, the game and then the graphics are kind of like, what the, this isn't like nearly as good as what was in the commercials and the promos. Yeah. So all the animation in Love, Death, Robots is like the good animation that teased you into buying this game. So that's what's to expect. But there's also different styles. So there's like traditional hand-drawn animation, computer animation, uh, very few live actions. Uh, by and large, I like most of the episodes. But, you know, in, with any kind of anthology thing, you're going to get some that are good, some that are marginal, and some that are like, well, that one was just stupid, or that one just plain old sucked. So... Where is the relevant part of this review? You're like, Donna, you're like giving us the real skinny here. You'd say you like it. This stuff makes sense. Get this. The series has even won two Emmys. Wow. This doesn't look irrelevant at all. Let me get to that. So in the summer of 2021, my dad moved in with us because he was getting a divorce from his wife of 30 years. Yeah. I know, after you're into it for 30 years and you're 80 years old, whatever, whatever, but okay, here, I'll, I'll tell you. The reason why my dad is getting a divorce was because my stepmom was not putting out enough. You're like, what? Yes, you heard that right. So that's why my dad moved in with us. Uh, and there were some other standing issues but that's the one they kept telling me about all the time my stepmom and my dad i'm like dudes please stop i never want to hear all these details about your sex life and yes they would give me details it's like shut the hell up no child should know these kind of things so anyways there's your stage for what was going on in my life at the time when season three came out and so we're flipping through things to watch and we bring up Love, Death, and Robots. And we're like, my dad says he likes to watch weird things. And me and Ryan are like, alrighty then, let's go for a ride. Let's see how weird you like things. And we start watching Love, Death, and Robots. And here's the thing, my dad does enjoy sci-fi. He does, it, like, hard sci-fi. And he's like a, as a... Uh, Isaac Asimov kind of hard sci-fi kind of reader, right? Uh, so we're watching the episodes, first couple ones, and he's all like, yeah, you guys are weirder than me. I'm like, yeah, no shit, dad. Don't challenge us on the weirdness factor. You are going to lose, I guarantee you, on this one. So anyways, he still watched all the rest of the episodes with us until we got to the very last one, which was about uh, a giant that washes up, a dead giant that washes up on a beach in like England or Scotland or something like that. So it's kind of like how people deal with the decomposing body of a giant on the beach. And, and it's naked, of course, because of course it is, because that's how this series runs. And then the end of the whole, and by the way, it's a marginal episode. It's not that great, but it gets to the end and it's talking about how uh, some of the shops and restaurants around there now have body parts of the giant, but nobody actually acknowledges or remembers that there was a giant. 
and then one in front of one of the shops they have preserved the the giant's pizzle and then all of a sudden my dad starts looking uncomfortable because there's you know a giant sized uncircumcised penis uh in front of a shop that's making him uncomfortable so we think my dad sometimes might be secretly gay i mean you already heard him that he was like uh how he feels about game of thrones so yeah it's like oh no kind of that uncomfortable feeling again because i saw a giant penis uh i i like girls i like girls i like girls uh, i gotta go upstairs okay i'll see you guys later it's like hmm yeah dad things that make us go hmm so anyways i highly highly recommend love death and robots uh yeah and test your own weirdness because i think it's awesome so there you go i'm donna shannon this has been more slightly irrelevant reviews if you like what you're hearing please check out my own podcast donna shannon's coyote tales on all of your major platforms thanks this episode is brought to you by koa coffee if you are a coffee connoisseur and want to experience the best coffee Hawaii has to offer, no blends, no compromise, try the true taste of aloha. Koa Coffee produces premium Hawaiian coffee, hand-picked, expertly roasted, and delivered from Hawaii to your door with aloha. From award-winning 100% Kona coffee grown on the slopes of the Mauna Loa volcano to the unique mocha beans of Maui, they strive to provide their loyal customers with the best quality and freshness. Since 1997, Koa Coffee has been known far and wide as a product of utmost quality and their awards proven. Koa Coffee was featured in Forbes' Top 10 Coffees of the World. This is the coffee Forbes called the best coffee in America. Find out what it's all about. Go to minddogtv.com slash coffee. And then you can run on the beach chasing long-haired, brown-haired girls. She's so pretty. Look at how pretty she is. Turn around and look at me. Ah, you're so pretty. Would you like some coffee? I guess not. You're watching WDOG, Mind Dog TV. I don't know. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm coughing. Um... So, yeah, I don't know what you think. You know, maybe we should get Donna's father uh, on the program and, and question him about, are you in the closet? I mean, it's okay. You're a, nobody's going to care if you come out now. I mean, nobody would care anyway, no matter what age you are. But you're 80 years old. Come on. You, if you're, you can come out of the closet, it's safe. I don't know. It definitely sounds to me like he's got a penis thing going on there. A penis thing. And there's nothing wrong with that, but um, and he's got a definitely kink. It definitely seems like, you know, he's only interested if there's lots of kink, kink. If there's nudity and there's big penises, giant penises. And when she said, I forget what she said, the giant body part. It sounded like she was saying vagina to me. I don't know. I just hear vagina a lot. Vagina rings in my ears. Um, video is fixed because I changed browsers. That fucking Something happened with Chrome browser on this 
machine, the main machine. Not on this one. Chrome browser works good on that one. He's losing it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he lost it a long time ago. Uh, anyway, Robert uh, Taylor is going to be coming in, and we're going to be talking about Norman. So long, Norman. Uh, Mark Norman's new special, Soup to Nuts. I caught it on Netflix. It doesn't feel like a new special to me. It doesn't feel new at all. But uh, I have seen Mark Norman enough that I know the material. And so I'm not sure if it's because I'm not talking about the same new special as uh, Robert has in mind. Or I don't know what the hell's going on. But he's here now. Let's uh, welcome in uh, Robert Taylor. Oh, yeah. Thank you for your service, sir. Good morning. Hey, man. Now, when you said you saw the new Mark Norman specials, were you talking about Soup to Nuts? Yeah. Yeah. That's new? Yeah, just dropped like two days. I know it just dropped, but I was thinking it was on YouTube already. And no, that's no. what was confusing me. Like, why would Netflix take something that was already on YouTube and now make make it a paper type no, of thing? He um he's he did a set on that that a series they have called the um The Stand Ups. Stand ups, yeah. And that's what that's you know, I'm a huge Mark Norman fan, and I saw him Within the last year, I think it's been, I think maybe a year and a half or whatever. And uh, I don't know, man. I was I was watching it. I was I was struggling to get through it. And I don't know if it was because I'd heard so many of the jokes, or also the way they filmed it was weird. It was, it was weird. It was like I, you know, sometimes they would do these side shots and it looked like somebody was using a cell phone or something. The video. I, I, I think that's know. what it was. I think you called it exactly right. I, I'm not going to, uh, sorry to interrupt you here, but uh, I think you're so far what I've heard from you, exactly my perception. I have seen all that material because I saw him three times in the last year. And yeah. I saw all that material. And when I saw it live, I laughed my ass off. It. And yesterday I didn't, I was like, uh, ho-hum. Like this isn't, it, it was kind of boring me. And Thanks. I was like, is it because I know the material? Is it the way it's shot? I don't know what it was, but it... I think he waited too long to put the special out. You know, because he's been touring like nonstop for right. a, a year or two, and comedy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Kevin Hart. Um, but but also, it seemed like I mean. It, it seemed like he 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 looked out of place on that big stage, in that yeah. That, that, venue. His stuff is his stuff is more intimate. He's a club comic, and he says that he loves being a club comic. And it seemed like he was uncomfortable, like he was almost trying to run. It, it seemed like he was rushing the jokes, like just trying to get it get done with the with the show. I think part of that is editing because yeah, they yeah. they cut space out and an editor will do that to you sometimes you leave pauses in there on purpose and editors don't get it and but um it, i would be really uh interested in seeing somebody who hasn't seen that material watch the special and give me their 
Yeah, and that's why I said I think I'm gonna go back and rewatch it in another day or two. One thing, maybe my expectations were too high. Yeah. You know, because he's he's a prolific joke writer. Totally. And yeah. And I I watch too much stuff, I guess, that he's on. I watch podcasts that he's on and all that. And maybe I'm just too familiar. I can, yeah, see, but I can see a lot of the I can see a lot of the punchlines coming. He didn't deliver um, some of the material as good as he did live. And again, I've seen him yeah. three times in the last year. The stuff, and I don't want to ruin, so maybe I shouldn't talk about the stuff. But I, and just leave it at that. That he, a lot of the material that I saw him do, he seemed to deliver better live than on tape. It's, it almost seemed like he was going through the motions on a lot of that material. Now, what, when did he tape that? Do you know when he taped it? Yeah, he taped it uh, like only like a month or two ago. Okay. Because when I saw him in the middle of last year, he was still like he was looking at notes. I saw him yeah. at, at a showcase yeah. one time. He was still yeah, we working on it. I saw him about the same time. Yeah, he, he, he was working a lot of material out. And then he went on tour heavy, real heavily. Before the sun and before the summer started, so he could, you know, get it all locked in. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's not a good special. It's a good special, but I think, I think maybe I had my expectations. I set the bar too high for him. I guess I don't know. Possibly, I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend going back two days from now and watching it again, or a couple of days from now, because um, it's still. I think you need some time to distance from it. And I'll, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Uh, Norm McDonald, when he did, had the nothing special, his uh, after yeah. death, uh, <laughs> posthumously yeah. released uh, special. Um, I didn't like it when it first came out. I thought, you know, I didn't, not that I didn't like it. I was just like, I don't, I'm not getting, you know, I'm not laughing at this. And then I watched it two days ago again. And I was like, wow, it's much better than I remember it. Uh, yeah. I think you need some time in between, you know. I think if I would have watched it two days after I originally watched it, I would have been disappointed still. I don't know. But we need to get fresh perspective. We need somebody out there, out there in that chat room there, we need some of them to go on Netflix today, watch Norman's uh, Soup to Nuts, and give us a a review. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, I think I was just too close, too close to the material. I had seen it. You know, seeing him working on it or totally uh, different experience for me. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, because I've uh, I watched Tom Segura's special about a week or two ago, and it was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I like Tom Segura. It was it was pretty good, but the only thing that kind of gets me is he's got to the point now where he's making Burt Kreischer and stuff part of his show. Like he's he's got he references. You know, Bert and all this st- stuff from his podcast and stuff in his show as part of his show. You know, yeah. Uh, uh, I think he, some some of these comedians are doing too many podcasts. Like he doesn't just have the one with Bert; he's got the one with his wife. Well, he's got a few of them with his yeah, wife. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that expose overexposes your audience. And Norman special is is. Uh, a good example of what overexposure will do because yeah. I've, I've seen that material. It is so much more impressive in a room where people in a comedy club setting when you're there than watching a theater presentation of the same material when you're not there. 
that hey, that was another thing too. I was thinking about just now. When he's in the club, he plays off of the crowd more. Right. You know, he does crowd work. He plays off. He didn't do anything in that show. Right. I think he might have asked somebody, but you could tell he wasn't even really doing crowd work. He was just trying to set the bid up. Right. He wasn't even really waiting on answers from the people. Yeah, yeah. You know, whatever like that. So I, that's why I said it looked kind of like he was just going through the motions of trying to get that special done so he could get rid of that material. He's probably tired of doing the material himself. Right. Have you seen any other comedians given like uh review or you know critique no, of it? I haven't. I, I, I haven't either. Look, I need to go look for it because they're you know one thing about it though, man. None of them are going to be real honest on the podcast. They're all going to say they liked it and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, even if even if it, they felt, you know, it might have been off. I, I, I mean, I liked it. It was better than most specials that you're going to see because he's a, he's a better comic than most of the comedians you're going to see. But, that's that's what my takeaway, too. It's like I think he's probably – He's probably at the top of the totem pole right now. I wouldn't say, you know, nobody has, I I never put like one person up there, but in my list of, the, you know, t- 10 best comedians, he's definitely um, in that top 10 somewhere. Yeah, he, yeah. He, yeah. And, he, his know, time has come. He's definitely worked hard for it, it and deserves it. And it, it makes a difference too, man. When you're too close to it, if you, if you watch, if you, if you're watching them so much and, Keeping up with everything, because I've seen the Louis the, the last two Louis C.K. specials probably a half a dozen times each. I could go back and watch it again today. Right. Either one of those last two, right? It's just because you don't see Louis that much. He, How yeah. old is Norman? Let me look this up. Mark he's four. He's thirty nine, I think. Wow, he's looking good for for being that age. I mean, I thought he was still probably early thirties. Uh, wow, good for yeah. him. He, but he. he and how long has he he probably been doing it for twenty years, right? Yeah, I think he said like eighteen. I, I just watched him on another podcast or listened to it. I was on uh, driving to a show yesterday, and I listened to him on another podcast. I think he's I think and he was actually saying that he's getting he's kind of worn down because you know he does comedy till like one in the morning or something. He said he gets goes to bed about three, then he wakes up about ten thirty. But he's doing podcasts all day. I think he's just doing too much, man. He's got too yeah. much exposure. He's got too much exposure. That's the difference between he and Louis C.K. Is you never see Louis C.K. on anything unless he's got something coming out. You used to though before the cancellation. He used to do Conan a lot. Well, yeah, yeah. But once he once he took control of his own destiny, yeah. his own production and all that stuff, he would start doing podcasts when he had something to promote. But but other than that, man, I mean, he wasn't. You yeah. couldn't see his comedy. You know? Mar- uh, Norman is thirty nine. He started doing comedy in two thousand six. So that's seventeen years to get where he is today. That's not. That's not bad. Seventeen. I mean, I wonder how long it took him to actually uh, make a living off it. That that's what. And they never put that in your Wikipedia. Like how long you had to wait before you could actually make a living off it. But I first came to uh, to know about Norman probably about seven, eight years ago. Uh, somebody in who was running a paper uh, comedy show in in, um, in Brooklyn. Was it Brooklyn or might have been Gotham? Might have been Broadway comedy. Um, 
and he she was uh, boasting of him as a headliner, and I had never heard of him at that point. And I went to see him, and I wasn't all that impressed. He seemed nervous. And yeah, this was only that, seven, eight years ago. He seemed a little nervous. Like, yeah, you, not, you could tell. Like, yeah, and that's what I thought about this special, man. A few points, he seemed like, you know, he seemed kind of out of his element a little bit like that. Like, and I don't mean in terms of, like, uh, his ability to produce or, or his material or anything. I just mean that, and I've heard him say it before, he's not a fan of the, the larger venues. He's not yeah. a fan of that. Well, that, unfortunately... The more successful you, you get, you that's a, it's important. Yeah, I mean, because you, you make more money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and sometimes you know the people who are running the business for you, uh, they care more about you know selling seventeen thousand seats at Red Rocks than a club or whatever. So it's going to end up having to do theaters, and that's going to be it's kind of weird that he would have that because he has this antisocial thing where he can't look people in the eyes. It's kind of weird that he would prefer the intimate settings more than the, cause being on a stage in a, a amphitheater gives you every excuse not to have eye contact with people. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think it, I don't think that bothers him once he gets on stage. I think he just feeds off the energy and that's why I like doing the clubs, man. Yeah. You, you, the crowd's right up on you and you can, you can interact with them and you can feel them, you know, yeah. Uh, some of those theaters the stage is like could be 10 or 15 feet away from the first person out in the audience right that's what i like about sony theater in new york is you the first row is right on the stage yeah and a lot of them aren't like that you know yeah but i'll tell you one i said it over and over and over i'm 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 sticking to it man even though i was there when they filmed it that dusty slave special i think he's gonna pop real big when that thing comes out you know, I watched Dusty Slay on the stand-ups. Yeah, uh, okay. That was, that was years ago, and that was one of the first, like, big exposures he got. What do you think about it? I I think he's very good. Uh, I don't think he's uh, – I don't necessarily agree with you that he's ready to be. Where like do his, you see this special, though? I'm, I'm I, telling you, man. You know, I, I, I could see that he's very good. I like the fact he's that a he had – He's a yeah, real and he has um, tapped into psychological triggers like um, yeah, the, the you know we're having a good time. But what but what you're seeing <laughs> in his special man is like he he's he's uh he's clean. He does clean comedy, but he's honest about like in this when it, at this show that I went to in his special. It's way more edgy than that stand-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know what? I didn't even pay attention to the fact that he wasn't using profanity because a lot of his his jokes are, you know, it, it it's adult material just without yeah. the profanity. Well, he and he's really religious too. But in, but he in his special and on his podcast and stuff like that, he goes back into his past and he's talking about. He still smokes weed sometimes, but he still talk. He talks about when he was living in Charleston, South Carolina, and he was an alcoholic, man, and that's all he did was get screwed up every night. And he does some, he talks some, he talks about some stories, but he does some, he does some um, uh, interactions and stuff with the audience. And he's, he knows what he's talking about. He's not, you know, he's not Larry the Cable guy. He's he's talking about, you know, stuff, edgy stuff, man, but he doesn't, he's clean. He's still clean. But he's he's really edgy, 
Yeah, okay. I don't know. You know that, that I have to watch. I put it on my watch uh, later list. Why Jim Gaffigan resists the label of clean comic? He doesn't want people thinking of him as a clean comic. And I, I was trying to think: Did I ever hear Gaffigan say anything that I would ever consider even adult material? I don't think so. Most of his jokes are about food and stuff, but he rejects the label of clean. Yeah. I got to watch it. Would you, he's got a new special that just dropped. I haven't watched uh, it. Just dropped. Yeah, he's doing everybody's podcast, and it's called Dark Pell. And the people that are kind of talking about that saw it on there, they're saying he's going a little darker. Wow. And said, but he's always he he actually is. If you listen to the stuff he does, he's kind of dark and edgy. He's just clean. Like he doesn't he doesn't. He don't like to be called clean though. Yeah. <laughs> but except when he's except when he's filling arenas up. Yeah, uh, but he but on the podcast, uh, he did your buddy's podcast, Theo. He did Theo's podcast, and uh, it's oh, ridiculous. Right. it's ridiculous though when you watch it. You can't watch it because they just sit there, and you can see the look on their face when when Theo says some of the stupid shit that he says. It, you know, they just want to say something back and just and roast him, but they don't. You know, because they're trying to promote their stuff, but. Uh, he was on the, um, oh man, uh, oh he was on Martin. Oh uh, no, he was Good on Mark. Martin Maron's oh. podcast this week, oh. and they talk about that. They, he talks about Martin Maron says he said, "Yeah, man, the people that don't know you don't realize that you actually are dark." And you know when I got I got, I got to look for some examples of dark with with him because I don't I, nothing comes to mind. Every you know even the uh, pale. Tourist or whatever the hell that yeah, special was. Yeah. Um, I gotta, I gotta watch and look for some dark stuff because I generally I think, it, and I'm not, I'm not the biggest Gaffigan fan, so I don't know all of his stuff. But it, it seems like you know, talking about food, talking about being fat, he makes fun of that dopey voice he does. Which that would get annoying if he does that too much in real life. Well, that, I think. <laughs> uh, I think the reason I say I think the Dusty Slade video is going to help him pop is because in this one, you can see it before, but in this one, man, he kind of – he's going to appeal to two different – both sides. He's, he's an Alabama to, guy, right? Alabama? Yeah, he's yeah. Gonna, he appeals to the, the people that like clean comedy. But if, if you could get people just to tap in and watch this thing that aren't – I'm not against clean comedy. I like all comedy. If it's funny, I don't care. But – but there's some people that, oh, I don't like clean comedy. But if you watch this, you would never know he's a clean comic unless somebody just said, oh, he's a clean comic. Right. Because the, the material he's doing is he's doing stuff about drugs and sex and uh, drugs and sex. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, um, most you don't hear, I mean, you'll hear Larry Cable guy do some stupid fart jokes. Yeah. 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 Or he'll always talk about. I believe the pooping stall, uh, the, yeah, the yeah. handicap stall is the Cadillac of pooping stalls. Yeah, like, oh, and, they, and they think that's edgy. You know, they love that stuff. I like Larry the Cable Guy too, but uh, but I'm, I don't know, man. I'm telling you, I wasn't. I didn't. I never even watched Dusty Slay. I would just see his photo. I'm like, ah, man, that's another one of those hillbilly. He's trying to do the Larry Cable the guy stuff or whatever like that. Joe Dirt, you know, he kind of looks like Joe Dirt with glasses. Joe Dirt, yeah, yeah. And I, but I watched that stand up thing. I'm like, oh, that wasn't that wasn't too bad. And then I started looking at clips on YouTube and finding the clips. I'm like, and then I started watching this podcast. 
And man, he's exactly the same in real life as he is on that freaking stand-up. Yeah. He's exactly the same, man. <laughs> White trash, trailer trash from Alabama or whatever like that. Yeah. You know, he, but it, it's, you can relate to the stuff he's saying because a lot of it, especially if you grew up down south, it's, you know, just the ridiculous shit that we do down here. <laughs> um, what'd you do last night? I had a show over by your brother. I was in Durham. Durham. Yeah. Wow. He's 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 on his way here. Oh, yeah. So that's why. Yeah, that's right. I did tell him about your show, but he was not he was not uh, able to do because he's on the road. He's coming yeah, here. I, I did. I did. That was the first show I did for this one promoter over there. He had he put shows on seven nights a week across. Was good nights? Is that where you were? No, it was a. Uh, I think Good Nights is down in Raleigh. Um, but no, this was at some um, brew pub that these uh, female veterans own. They own two of them in Durham. It was a cool place, a new place, but it was the first, one of the first times they've had comedy in there. And uh, some of the people weren't having it, man. It was loud. Yeah, uh, you, you know, kind of, it was like we you had a can't good make people want comedy. They have to want comedy themselves. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like religion. You can't make people go to church. It's got potential to play. So he said that the other place that they have is really good because they've had a show there for a while. But I had a good show, and uh, the guy was uh, that uh, his name's uh, Karee Reed. He puts on shows all over North Carolina, and Virginia. So he actually. Uh, first of the month, he sent me a, a Facebook message with his whole calendar. He says, pick any shows that you think you might want to do. Cool. You know? Yeah. And uh, so that's another, you know, another uh, networking opportunity I'm in. So I guess give me and So you drove to Durham last night and then drove back at the yeah, end of the game? Yeah, man. It was four hours each way. Oh, man. That's commitment that is fucking commitment man it pays off man it paid off it, you gotta take risk right yeah, i drove no. my my head relatives over there they showed up so he he actually knew one of my brother's friends that comes to his other shows and he said oh man yeah i know this guy so he made a he made fans out of them like eight people that showed up they'll tell people so he knows i can bring people to the shows so, but show. after four hours of driving, uh, energy wise, uh, did, now you didn't have to just get out of the car and then go do your show, right? Did you have some time in between the drive before you had to go up? I had like, a, I had like about 45 minutes. Wow. So, well, no, I didn't go up first. So I, I probably had a little over an hour. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, I, I did I you feel in your element that that's a kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. I was totally relaxed. I was ready to go, man. Because uh, uh, I got that show coming up Saturday in Fayetteville. It's sold out. They want to add it. And they added another show. That place sold out. That performing arts theater holds 300 people. Very cool. Yeah. And it's the, it's the military show where, you know, I'm one of five people. You'll like this. I found out yesterday. Uh, it's, sponsored, it's sponsored by Jack Daniels. That, <laughs> the thing is. So we get a personally engraved bottle of Jack Daniels. Wow. Yeah, man. I don't even drink, but my son's like, yeah, that might be worth something. 
It just it's just good to I would never open it. No, that's why yeah, I thought it was pretty cool today. Yeah, yeah. You know, even if I was a drinker, I wouldn't open that. I'd go get another bottle of Jack and leave that one on the shelf. I mean, that's a, a collector's piece. I I I that would stay unopened till the day I die, and if anybody tried to open it, they'd get shot. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know, as far as like driving that far, I catch up on my podcast, man. I probably listen to like three or more podcast. That's why I listen to that Mark Norman podcast. Yeah, I, I understand that. Now, but the the because yesterday I was talking when I was trying to get back into RFK mode. Uh, well, you to, that was pretty good, man. You nailed that one. <laughs> Thanks. I don't think know that I could. Oh, being able to turn it on and off is about state of mind, and I think performance wise, you have to get into a state of mind before yeah. you get on that stage, and I think. Driving can distract you. You're listening to podcasts and all that stuff. You get in a whole different state of mind. You need some time in between that yeah. and getting on stage that so you can get in the proper. I don't want to say mood. It's state of mind is what. Well, what, well uh, I, I don't know if you know who Steve North is. He wrote that book, How to Kill in Comedy. Yeah, yeah, I found him on the program. Yeah, and I worked with him a little bit, and that's what he told me was he's like. Before you get on that stage, you got to already be in your persona. Before yeah. you, when you're walking up to the stage, you're already in your persona. When you get up there, before you go on, and that's who you are. And yeah, you're right. You have to you have to be locked in if you're distracted or. Uh, that's of- what one of the things with the Norman thing. It makes and I know this wasn't absolutely it wasn't true, but he makes it seem like he was coming from running off the street right onto the yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was uh, yeah. That that's when okay, that goes back to kind of what I was talking about before about being in the club, where the only thing that the only thing that matters when you're in the club is being funny on stage. Right. That's the only thing. That peripheral stuff, like the right. production of the video, oh, we gotta have a good intro, we gotta have something funny, something catchy and all that stuff. That's kind of t- I think it takes away, man, from the from <laughs> It depends if it's done right. Like uh, we, I was talking to Klein about this because uh, Klein set the uh, template for what specials to be, but he did. He actually went out of his way to do some really creative writing about the intros and outros and stuff. If you watch uh, Man of the Fifties, uh, Child of the Fifties, Man of the Eighties, he does this whole thing where he goes back to his school and does a musical number, and, yeah. and it's really, really uh, well put together and well thought out. Um, but too many guys, you know, they, they they struggle for that and don't and they force it. They, they don't really have a, a concept, and yeah. then they go into the writers when we need something. If you don't have it, you don't you know don't force it. That's I guess the point I'm trying to make. But um, yeah, that's what that's what I was saying before. It kind of Mark Norman saying it seemed kind of like he was kind of going through the motions in a lot of it. Yeah. And I I understand. I'm not knocking Mark Norman. He's trying to make money, man. He's trying to capitalize on all these jokes that he wrote over the last couple of years, and he's I been. Think he really out. loves the art form. I don't think. Yeah, money... yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm not. I'm not bashing him. I'm just saying, yeah. my. And a lot of it's my own fault. Comedy, eh? Comedy. Yeah. A lot Comedy. Of it's my own fault from being too familiar, <laughs> being too familiar with his material, and you know all that. So I, I, I don't fault him because someone could go on there who's never seen him before and like, oh man, this guy, this guy's great. And I think he is. You know, I, I'm just saying, you, uh, from my perspective, if you're going to ask my honest opinion from my perspective, I was just, I, I think I set the bar too high or. 
Yeah, you're a huge Norman fan, and it's it's kind of you know what though. Uh, I could see that with just about anything. If I'm a yeah. huge fan, it's not the same on television as as it is live. In, oh in no, first. yeah, especially stand up. Yeah, it's a whole different experience, especially in a club. Right, There's a huge difference in a club and a, and a thing like that. So yeah, I think he'll I think he'll get a lot of good reviews for it. And uh, I'm a little nervous about Ben Frank today. Uh, not uh, talking to him, but it, his connection stuff. He. He's uh, so he doesn't have a, a, a like a microphone, so he's going to be using his phone. It'll if he's it worked my it worked fine on my phone when I was out in right. Texas. Right. Yeah, this will be all right. I I'm hoping it'll be all right. Um, let me get your perspective uh, before he gets here on the UFO thing. Did you, do you know about the U yesterday's UFO hearings and all? The yeah, kind of stuff I, I was talking? watching a little bit of that on the news this morning. What do you think? I don't have time for that shit. I, I'm like, I'm trying to live in what I know about. You know, I'm just trying to deal with the stuff I actually know is true or not true. Right. Or, or whatever. I, yeah, I, I have the same opinion as you do, though. Uh, I'm not foolish enough to think that we're the most intelligent people ever in the history of the world and the universe or that there can't be other life forms out there or whatever. Uh, I just don't know about them. If I see them, if I find out about them, then fine or whatever like that. I'm not. I'm not opposed to it, but I'm not wasting my time on trying to figure it out. But like the question if I have is, what's the agenda behind going in front of Congress yeah, yeah. and not really coming out with plain language and saying we have yeah. alien body? Like, what is? Why are they wasting time on that shit? That's why I don't. Understand. There's we got other problems we could we need to be dealing with right now. You know, I don't know. I, you're yeah, exactly right. Why would they even give them the time to even freaking be in there unless right. they can put proof that they have no proof at all other than what their opinion. And I nobody, yeah. And it. nobody's asking them for proof. They, you know, they, they want to say, well, his, he, because he said it, that's, that's proof enough. Like, wait a minute. Maybe they're trying to promote the space force. They need to recruit some people for the space force. I don't Man, know. I don't know, but what are these guys are doing? And uh, somebody brought up, I forget who it was now. That if this is true, you know, having contact with superior beings might actually be like a, a, an immense, beautiful thing for yeah. solving the problems that we have, like cures yeah. for cancer and whatever, all that kind of. Remember but, you know, to, to dress it up in language that doesn't. What are you really saying? Fuck. I hate people that won't just tell me what they're really saying. What did you see? What, yeah. what exactly do you got? What did, they got some agenda. They got some agenda too. Yeah. But they better remember all those dumb asses. Remember that episode in the twilight zone when they had that rest, that freaking, they were getting people on the, the ship. man. Are you going to get recipe book? Yeah. It was a, they finally interpreted it. It was a recipe book on how to cook humans to serve man. Yeah, for man. dinner. <laughs> yeah, you better, yeah, you better watch that shit before they get on there. Yeah, I don't know. All that stuff is now. Mitch McConnell, uh, you got any thoughts on that kind of uh, what happened? You know, uh, where what Mitch McConnell yesterday was went to speak, did a press conference, a, a weekly press conference, started talking, and then kind of froze, like glitched. Well, it's, it's kind of ironic that you take Mitch, Mitch McConnell and UFOs because he looks like fucking E.T. He does look like at this, at this point. I didn't even know he was still alive. Yeah. On the thing. But yeah. Uh, man, I don't I, I can't. 
you just there's no you can't be surprised by anything right. that they're going to put on there now. No, these people are too old, and I, you know, I, I Sherry uh, Jacob Jacob Jacobson, whatever I can't I mess her name up. Jacob Jacoby Jacoby. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, she she's like. Uh, beating this drum that biden is just like he's in really good shape for 80 and look at mick jagger mick jagger's 80 and when nobody's saying well nobody's saying mick jagger should be president either he didn't fall and off the damn stage either right but <laughs> also yeah and we don't see mick jagger 24 7 he's not i'm sure he has a senior moment even though he's dying his hair black yeah. he still has a senior moment everybody at 80 does and these people should, and Mitch McConnell, like, I've never been a, a fan of Mitch McConnell's politics and all that stuff, but it really bothers me that people can't have empathy towards the guy. Like, I understand not liking him, but to be happy that something like that is happening to, to another human being, I think you have to, you, it, not that... <sighs> You hurt yourself by not having empathy and not, you know. Yeah, well, also too, it comes off. It comes off, especially from the political perspective, because that's what you got. You got on both sides. You know, you go, oh man, he's an idiot. Da, da, da. They're just talking about that because they they hate Democrats, right? Or whatever, like that. If it was their grandfather sitting across the room and you said some shit like that about him, all of a sudden, be like, hey. Yeah. Come on, man. Hey, he's a, he's an old guy. He's a right, you know, yeah. life, all this stuff like that. So yeah, that's bullshit. That whole that whole thing. People uh, they're talking out of their ass when they say stuff like that. Because if it, if it was someone uh, that their relative or their dad or their grandfather, all of a sudden it'd be you know a whole different thing. So I don't I don't really pay attention to that stuff. You can tell. They're yeah. Just talking, talking from a. I know, but I do think going back to a conversation, I was it this week. God, this, I don't even know. Probably last week, uh, the author I had on Sonia Pollack, and we, I was talking about an empathy crisis. I think the human race has an empathy crisis, and empathy does not mean being friends with somebody or any of that kind of stuff. Empathy is not something you can turn on or off based on whether yeah. you like somebody. Yeah. It's a it's a recognition of human suffering that yeah, can, we're all susceptible. Yeah, you, uh, yeah, it's just that you understand you understand what's going on with them or or I understand it really well cuz yeah. I had a TIA uh 8 years ago now. Uh, uh transient uh whatever ischemic attack is what it's called and basically it, it's scary as hell when that happens to you i had that and it was they called it a mini stroke and uh, uh basically that's uh why i started smoking weed again because they put me on <laughs> they put me on blood pressure medication that made me into a zombie and i couldn't stand that and i was like you know what i'm gonna give this stuff up and, and weed lowers my blood pressure it, it mellows me out and it, it's I might as well be a little stone and be a total friggin' walking zombie. Well, but having been through that froze moment where you, you don't know what's going on, like I forgot how to talk. I'm just you're just staring, and like you're not human at that point. You yeah. feel like <laughs> the whole world is looking at you from the outside, and you can't really people, communicate with them. People just judge. They just see something and they judge based based on their biases. You know, and it's how you. It's like being right, growing up down here. You grow up racist almost when I when I was a kid because from your family you know I was born racist You're not born racist yeah. but but uh, I, I know you know you uh, when I first went to California 
and I had no exposure to illegal aliens or Mexicans or anything when living here. And when I got out there, you know, people were always talk about, oh, yeah, the freaking Mexicans, wetbacks or whatever racial slurs they would use. They're, they're this and they're this and this. And I remember, man, I was at a drive-in movie theater, and you could see silhouettes in the dark down below the movie screen. I'm like, what the hell? And I was asking this girl, I'm like, what is that? She says, it's illegal aliens. They live out in cardboard boxes in the fields over there, and they work in the fields and stuff like that. And people and, and put yourself in that. And then I started thinking, like, man, yeah, these people are living in cardboard boxes in a field trying to survive. And most of them were sending mo- their money back, right? To the families and stuff like that. I said, Jesus Christ, man, if you can't, if you can't empathize or, or, or respect what that someone would go right. through that, you know, to, to freaking survive and put their family. You know, it's, it's, but you're right. You don't. You got to put yourself in somebody's shoes to understand. I worked alongside migrant workers when I was a kid, putting myself through high school, picking oranges. I would start uh, four o'clock in the morning, still dark out, and you go into the orange groves and start and pick oranges. Working with migrant workers, and that was, and they would just go from Florida up to Georgia, pick peaches, then come back to Florida for a different fruit, different time of year, and that kind of stuff. I work. I work off. You got to go. I know, but I'll, I'll wrap it up with this closer. I work construction, man, when I, and in the restaurants when I was in San Diego, but I work construction with these guys. And when we got paid, there was a taco shop right about two blocks away. We got paid every two weeks, I think it was. When we got paid for like the first nine or 10 days, you know, when they still had money, they ate. Every day they were getting stuff from the taco shop. We sit out on the loading dock. They'd eat taco shop. But those last two or three days, they'd go to 7-Eleven and get a loaf of bread and mayonnaise. They were eating mayonnaise sandwiches, man. <laughs> mayonnaise sandwiches because that's all the money they had for the last – I'm telling you, though, man. I'm telling you. I know. I know. So somebody said that the other day they were eating like uh, I forget might, might have been a mayonnaise sandwich. I was like, oh, what a fucking gross thing to think about mayonnaise on bread. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna be sick just thinking about it. Um, what do you got coming up this weekend? You you working this weekend? I got that big show in Fayetteville, North Carolina, man. Oh, the, that's this weekend. The, um, okay. Uh, Best Medicine Brigade, the military. It's me against the army. Uh, now, how far is that from you? It's uh, probably about two and a half hours. This is an easy wow. drive. But it's all interstate. It's all interstate. Yeah, I know. My but, um, most of my gigs when when they're because all my gigs are at least an hour and a half away, but they're all like you know not interstate but highway driving. Night, I, yeah. I was on back roads and stuff last night. Yeah, but but they uh, they got the deck stacked against me. It's, it's four army. Four army veterans against me in the show, and it's in an army town. Oh, yeah, it's a big army town. So I'm bringing the heat right from the start, man. I'm just going after, I'm just going after the navy right from the start. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with that. Uh, are you filming any of that? I'm doing. I am, and they are too. They have a professional videographer. Nice. Yeah, it's a big. It's a. I know that Robin. That I sent you her info, Robin Phoenix. Uh, she's a good one. To, she's retired lieutenant colonel from the army, and she's producing these shows for the for the VA and stuff like that. But she runs a good show, man. She just 
she gets the green room loaded for you, the whole deal, man. This, this. I contacted those people that you uh, you you recommended. I haven't heard back from either I'll, one. I'll talk to her. I'll see her this weekend. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate all you do here, man. Um, yeah. What did I want to ask you about before before you go? Now I'm having my senior moment. Uh, I forget what it was. It'll come to me. Oh, Manchurian Candidate. Did you? Are you familiar with the original Frank I Sinatra? I saw both of them. Yeah, I saw both of them. Okay, yeah. the first one, and I'm going to bring this up uh, with Ben when he comes on. The first one, a couple of uh, things that stick up. Andy, Angela Lansbury was younger than Frank Sinatra, and she was playing his mother. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty weird, right? <laughs> hey, you got, she, that's how good of an actor she was. I think man. I don't know if she just uh, if she's still alive, but she was younger than Frank Sinatra, but she played him, his mother in that. Uh, uh, no, she played Raymond Shaw's mother. I'm sorry, but still, he was Frank Frank Sinatra's contemporary, and she was playing his mother. Uh, the other thing is the Chinese guys were white guys. Yeah, well, I, know, I was getting ready to say they didn't. Yeah, it was a, fake it was, Chinese it, guys. It was like the ones that were used to be in the John Wayne movies, right. John Wayne westerns. And I'm surprised that you know, yeah, the Charlie Chan type of yeah. stuff. It's just so weird. How come they don't cancel those damn movies? I don't know. I mean, I don't have any problem. I mean, it, the Native it's, Americans too in the John Wayne movies. They oh yeah, the F Troop guys. Well, Frank DeCova was Chief Wildy. <laughs> Frank DeCova was Italian guy and <laughs> playing playing the, from Brooklyn. And he had a Brooklyn accent and he fucking played Chief Wild Eagle. Uh, it, you know, we don't talk about those things. That it's fine. And um, I don't think it was necessarily racist. I think. You know, they didn't have people that would play those parts and communicating to to whatever you know Chinese nationals at that point might have been a difficult thing, if they, especially if they don't speak English. But uh, Ben having a, a Chinese perspective on this, I want to talk to him about. That. Yeah. Anyway, uh, good luck this weekend, man, and uh, knock them dead, as they say. Yeah, thanks, man. I'll I'll let you know how it goes. All right, thank you for your service. Talk See you later. Then. Bye. Oh, yeah. I'm going to uh, take a really quick break. Well, not that quick. I'm going to play my True Fire commercial. Hopefully, Ben Frank will be here in, uh, momentarily. Uh, but I'm going to get some fresh coffee in the meantime. So, um, you know what? True Fire is the best place to learn guitar. We were talking about Tommy Emanuel earlier in the week, which John Dorsch. Did I just have a, a, a TIA right there? Uh, John Dorsch, earlier in the week, we were talking about uh, Tommy Emanuel and his influence. Tommy's one of his uh, teachers. So is Frank Vignaro, who was also in that part of that conversation. He was a local guy uh, who plays with Tommy a lot. So if you're interested in learning to play guitar the right way, like a pro, get on truefire.com. You can sign up free and invite musicality. Uh, all right. We'll be right back. Over 2 million guitar players worldwide learn, practice, and play with TrueFire. Our learning tools and massive library of video lessons will ignite your technical skills, harmonic knowledge, rhythm playing, and soloing chops. 
True Fire's educators are the best in the biz, from Grammy Award winners to world-renowned artists. You'll have access to an unparalleled faculty of over 300 top-notch blues, rock, jazz, country, fingerstyle, and acoustic guitar educators. Using our desktop and mobile apps, you'll work with TrueFire's multi-angle video lessons on any device, anytime, anywhere. Integrated learning tools such as video synced tab and notation, slow-mo, looping, practice jam tracks, and many more handy controls accelerate your learning experience. TrueFire's style-specific learning paths guide you every step of the way. Use our assessment tools to find your starting point, then follow our lesson recommendations and track your progress as you work through your personalized TrueFire study plan. Progress faster with private one-on-one instruction, group lessons, multi-track video jams, live streams, song lessons, student forums, TrueFire's Riff magazine, premium jam tracks, and much, much more. With thousands of five-star ratings and reviews from amateur and pro players alike, you'll find yourself in good company with the world's most comprehensive guitar learning platform. Grab your guitar and ignite your musicality. Sign up free for an all-access trial today. Uh, why, why is my mic? My mic is not muted. Anyway, we are waiting uh, on Ben Frank. Um, in the meantime, I'll tell you about last night, uh, Jackie Martling and Peter Bale's stand-up memories did something a little unusual for them. They had a live performance in front of a live audience at Titan Studios uh, doing their uh, podcast. I guess it's a podcast, a podcast, whatever you want to call it. Um, don't know how that went. It seemed a little, I don't know, it seemed a little weird to me i weird is the best word i can come up with right now man that's weak it's a weird word uh it's a it's a weak word weird is weak uh but it it felt like um the audience was really disconnected and why have a show live if it's gonna feel like i don't know fake fake it's it's not connected to the i if you're gonna do a, a live podcast and i i know the the room they're in which is not necessarily meant for live audiences i'd rather if i was going to do it i'd want to do it in a club uh but you know i'm not wishing them (laughs) any bad luck with that i'm wishing them good luck with that don't know if it's something they're going to continue to do um i will check it out i my uh guest appearance with on donversations with don sill i believe will be out tomorrow evening at 8 p.m i think that's when it airs on Governor's Network. Don's film, uh, um, Comic Sans, debuted at the Long Beach Film Festival last night. And all the people from Governor's were there. Tony Walker was there. Uh, Joey. Uh, I'm going to mess up Joey's last name. Uh, Joey, who's been on this program. and I, uh, <laughs> Good times, bad times. Uh, Joey, uh, Don, and all people from Governors were there. It looked like it was a, a packed room, a packed theater uh, for the debut premiere of um, Comic Sans. Unfortunately, I had to miss that because I had a show last night with an author. It's, uh, you know, it's what I do. I am going to be ending 
the evening program at some point in the near future. Um, but anyway, so, you know, uh, I wish, I wish him luck with that. I think Jackie has been away for a long time now. I know he was busy promoting his documentary, which I still have not watched in its entirety. Uh, the documentary joke man, which is now streaming on all your platforms. I think it's number one on Apple or number three, I'm sorry, on Apple iTunes. Um, Apple TV, I'm sorry, Apple Apple streaming services. Uh, if you're a fan of the Stern Show, you want to want to see that. Jackie's been away for probably about six weeks now. After being on the program almost every week for <laughs> a year and a half, uh, and I think it's because he's a diplomat. I don't want to put words in his mouth. We'll see when he, he will be back on the program at some point in the near future. And I'll ask him about this. But I think the friction between me and Anthony Kumia, because Jackie is friends with Kumia. Jackie likes to be friends with everybody, regardless of their stance and political opinions and all that stuff. And uh, Kumia and I have gotten to some really ugly arguments on Twitter. And I think Jackie being the diplomat doesn't want doesn't want to spoil his friendship with Anthony over being friends with me. I think that's why he kind of distanced himself. I don't know that for a fact. I'll ask him. I'll ask him straight out. I mean, I, and he will tell me straight up. Jackie's not the kind of guy who um, is deceitful or hiding that kind of stuff anyway. Um, we were talking about the film The Manchurian Candidate. My guest today is the Manchurian co uh, comedian. He was sent here by the Chinese government to infiltrate the comedy scene, to destroy America through laughter uh, and talk about things in Mandarin. Every video you will see on his Instagram has <clears throat> got uh, the typical microphone in front of a brick wall, and I'm thinking his entire life is spent in front of a brick wall with a microphone in his hands. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome in Ben Frank to Coffee with the Doug. Ben, welcome. Thanks. Thanks Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. It's it's a, my pleasure to have you here. You have a, a an extraordinary, uh, different kind of story. Now, were you raised in China? What 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 what's what's your backstory with the China part of this? Um, no, so I, I wasn't I wasn't raised in China. I moved there in uh, in my twenties to uh, to work. Uh, I had I had studied Chinese in college, studied abroad for a semester in Beijing, and then uh, a couple years after college, I moved there um, for a job, and then ended up living there for seven years. Wow! And and how hard? Because they say Mandarin is like one of the hardest languages ever to learn. Uh, is that true? First of all. Um, I think in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. I think there are parts of it that are significantly harder than either English or some of the languages we might usually learn. But other parts of it, I think, actually make it uh, make it a little bit simpler uh, in the sense that, like, uh, I think grammar is very simple in Chinese. Or there aren't most words only have one form or one ending. So you don't have to worry about a lot of like verb conjugations or things like that. So some parts of it are easy, some parts of it are hard. How about uh, comedy? Uh, is uh, now I'm assuming you started doing stand up there, yes? Yes, I did exactly. I started doing stand up when I was living there in Mandarin or in English. 
Uh, when I was there, I mostly did shows in English, did some shows in Mandarin. Uh, I actually, the funny thing is I do, uh, I do some shows now in New York City in Mandarin. So I actually perform more in Mandarin now than I was when I was living in <laughs> Now, now I'm confused. Is there a large uh, uh, contingent of Mandarin speaking? There must be in New York City that I don't know about. <laughs> people. Who yeah, speak yeah, there, yeah. I mean, there's yeah, there's a big. I mean, there's a big Chinese population in New York City, and the people who run these shows, they you know, they they kind of are, are tapped into that community, and they're regularly able to you know fill their rooms. Obviously, there are not nearly as many uh, Chinese shows in New York City as there are English shows, so it's not nearly as saturated. So I think there's still that excitement. It's, it's still something novel and relatively newer, but stand-up has become pretty popular in China over the last decade or so. So very I, weird. Uh, now, are you on any kind of list? <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean. Government. Well, if I was on, the, if I was on those lists, they wouldn't tell me. So, well, well you can find out at Freedom of Well, maybe not. Freedom of Information Act is probably uh, still not all that free. But I'm just curious. I mean. Because Chinese uh, United States re American relations are not great, and and no, there is not, no. there's a lot of hatred for China, and of course, uh, COVID didn't make any of that any better. Do you have any uh, unique uh, perspectives on uh, our relations as far as countries and any of that? And I'm not asking you to get all political about this, but your idea of the people versus our idea of the country being our enemy the people are good people right most yeah most of the no, i i love it you're like uh, i don't i don't, don't want to get political but uh what what do you what are your thoughts on the on on the relationship between the two most powerful countries in the world well no <laughs> um, i'm what i'm really trying to get, uh, get at is is uh people to open their minds that countries are not the people right yeah. the people are different than china the nation right <laughs> And I, I think that that goes, yeah, I think that goes for both sides where people, you know, even in America where people would ascribe certain uh, characteristics to the Chinese, uh, to, sorry, even to the American government or what the American government does versus the average American person. Yeah. What that person wants, what those person that person's values are. I think it's the same thing in China. Obviously, you know, the government has their agenda and what they're you know what what they're trying to accomplish uh you know to kind of maintain their own position but then you have you know a country of of 1.4 billion people and kind of the you know those people just trying to you know survive and, and get along in their in their day-to-day -day lives and how the how those people live and they're just you know reacting or trying to exist within the you know the situation uh you know they have because a lot of people you know they don't think about this but you're you're born into whatever country you're born in. You just kind of have to figure out how to exist there and make it work. Right. Um, so. Um, so how long did you live there for? I lived there for seven years. Wow. Now, when you're doing these shows in New York in Mandarin, joke wise, because we talk about the language and some words, you know, you, you just have one tense and all that kind of stuff. Uh, right. I'm assuming you're doing the same material and kind of, translating it into are you or you write uh, fresh material for the mandarin audience um a little a little bit of both there are some jokes that i've translated that i you know used to do were in english or did in english and i wrote a chinese version but there are many jokes where i wrote custom brand new jokes in chinese for a for a chinese audience
That's interesting because I think you have to you have to take the language into account when you're trying to be funny. Like it's it, it's difficult enough to learn a second language, but to learn to be funny in a second language can be a, a, a whole different challenge. Or am I wrong about that? No, you're no, you're you're absolutely right. It's um, it's it's hard doing it in another language because you just don't um, if you're not native in that language, you don't have the same uh, intuition that right. that you would have in in your in, in in your native language so you're it's a lot of guesswork and it's a lot of also you know trying to cobble together jokes while not having necessarily all of the tools to communicate in that language right so yeah it is it is a bit of a challenge we were uh, talking earlier about the manchurian candidate and because the the movie is kind of funny in that none of the chinese people in in the original are Chinese. They're all American actors. And I, it's just funny about, how, I mean, I, this one's going to cover you up, but that guy, <laughs> that guy's the guy who gets into a, a fight with Frank Sinatra as a Chinese, uh, like, uh, cook or something like that. Hmm. Uh, uh, Chinese theater, and I, we'll get off the Chinese stuff, but, uh, it, it, you know, the movie, uh, do American movies and American culture have any kind of uh, presence over there? Sure. Uh, yeah. Ab yeah. Absolutely. I mean, definitely. Uh, you know, um, with America, I think cult. You know, culture continues to probably be the be the biggest uh, uh, export abroad. I mean, there there definitely is. Uh, you know, if you're talking specifically with movies or TV shows, there is some censorship that can come into play depending on what um, if there are any elements in those uh, shows or movies that the government considers to be sensitive. But yeah, there are. You know there 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 are movies and TV shows that you know are there that are very popular. Like I mean, for example, the 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 TV show Friends is very popular in China. Uh, <laughs> Big, Big Bang Theory is really popular. So uh, yeah, I mean there, there are lots of shows and movies that, uh, that 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 make it over there. Now you said you went over there to, to work originally. Now, so I'm assuming you your the work you went over there was not comedy. It was uh, it was something different than comedy. How long was comedy always something that you wanted to do? I mean, was it always an ambition of yours, or did you did it just happen there? Did you just like stumble into an open mic in China and say, "This is what I want to do"? <laughs> yeah. So I um. I had never really wanted to do comedy. I never really thought about doing it. I mean, I, I, I'd watch like I'd watch comedy when I was younger. I'd watch some stand up, but I wasn't like, I wouldn't say I was a huge fan. And I didn't, you know, I didn't watch people doing stand up and think, oh, that's easy. I could do that, or like I should do that. I never, never once thought that. Um, but so I, so I originally moved to China to work for a real estate developer. Um, so I, I got offered a job to work for a real estate developer in Shanghai. So I moved there um, that within a few months of me starting to work for them, that real estate developer um, went under or ceased to exist. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, Chinese real estate market for you. Um, and so I was unemployed in, in China and trying to figure out what, um, what to do in my next move. So I, you know, I was like, okay, I could find another job in real estate. I was about to start a new job with like a, you know, a big international real estate company. And then um, this guy I knew who was like a, a headhunter who specialized in like placing foreigners in China in like some different sorts of jobs. A guy I had met like once, two or three years before. It didn't have like that close of a relationship with him. 
he just reaches out to me out of nowhere um like sends me an email and is like hey uh i have this job and you're the first person i thought of again i'd have that I met this guy once, two or three years ago. It was not as we talk all the time. And uh, I was just like, hey. Uh, and it, he didn't even know I was looking for jobs at the time. He didn't know anything going on in my life. And I just, uh, I was like, hey, I appreciate it, but I'm about to start another job in like five days. It was literally, it's like a Wednesday, and I was about to start this new job on Monday. And then he's like, right, let's have a call. So I was like, okay. So he gets on the phone and he tells me, he's like, this job I have, it's with the NBA. And I'm wow. like, and I had always been a huge sports fan. I'd always wanted to work in sports. And I'd always thought, oh, I moved to China. That'd be really cool if I could do something sports and China related. So working for the NBA in China, I was like, wow, this, you know, this would be like a dream job. But I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm starting this other job in five days. Um, and I'm like, how, I asked him like, how quickly could you get me through the interview process? And he goes, uh, two weeks. So then I made up some excuse to the real estate job why I needed to delay my start date by two weeks. Um, you know, I said, I don't need to go visit family or something like that. <laughs> you know, whatever. I, I, I made, up, made up an excuse. Uh, he got me through three rounds of interviews in two weeks. Um, one with the guy who would be my future boss, one with HR, and one with uh, like the number two at the company, like the executive vice president of, of NBA China. So the first interview, you know, future boss, he, he was also an American. So that was 100% in English. The second interview, that was 100% in Chinese. And then the third interview with the, you know, big executive, that was like 65% Chinese, like 35% English. So we, we kind of did all of the, you know, mixed mixed bag there. And, um, so basically I, I got offered the job, I took it. Uh, and then, you know, the Monday that I was supposed to start the real estate job, I just didn't show up that, <laughs> uh, and then I, I, I took the job at, at, at the NBA. Wow. Um, so, so that, so that was the job I worked for the NBA for most of my time in China, but a couple months after I started working for them, they had this event that was like a, uh, uh, like a, a biannual event where all the all the different departments get together and they do like these big presentations for what they're going to accomplish or what their goals are for this fiscal year. So everyone kind of knows what's going on in the company. You do some bonding with everybody else that you don't get to see very often. But the but they were like, oh, this is going to be a pretty dry event. Let's try to like break it up by having a, an employee talent show. Um, and I was new to the company. I'd been in the company for like uh, two months or whatever. I volunteered to be on the talent show. I didn't even think what I was going to do. I volunteered. <laughs> I don't have a talent, but I'm signing up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then someone was, uh, another employee at the company was just like, oh, uh, can you do impressions? And I was like, yeah, I, 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 I can do I can do impressions. So I wrote like probably like an eight minute set of impressions, some of which were basketball related. And uh, it went well enough that I started looking for open mics in Shanghai and Beijing and then after that, I just started doing open mics and worked my way up from there. Wow, that's so cool! <laughs> so, are so, uh, you in? I, I don't. Maybe this is the wrong way to say that, but I was going to say, are you in love with the the art form now? Is it in your blood so that you could see yourself doing this for the rest of your life? Yeah, I mean that is. I mean that's the reason why I moved to New York was to 
you know, pursue it full time and, and give it my, give it my full attention and give it my full effort just, right. uh, just because, you know, New York is where, you know, the most stage time is it's where, it's where you go. It's where you go to get good as a comic. Right. You go to get those reps. And I was like, if I want to take this seriously, if I want to, you know, bring my comedy to the next level, this is where I need to move to, uh, to do that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's firmly within me. Funny, I, I agree with you, uh, but Louis J. Gomez, uh, who was a New York guy, uh, was arguing with somebody about New York is the cap capital of comedy, stand-up comedy, no, end, period, end of subject, and people were arguing with them. No, Boston and other people saying L.A. I think L.A. is a place people go to use stand-up to get attention so that they can get into movies and television. They don't have a pure love for stand-up. I think Boston... Uh, is is a place that is known for some really great comics, but New York has more opportunity than any other place to kind of just grow your craft and be in it and and work as much as possible. There's, you know, I hate to get into competition between New York uh, American cities of who's the best comedy was. I don't. I'm not saying the best, but the most opportunities are, are lie in New York. I think if you're seriously just into stand up and don't have I mean, everybody would love to be in movies and, and films and stuff like that. But if you really love the art form. So have you become a student of the art form? In other words, caring about the history and you know, those who come before you and studying uh, past comics? Or you, it's, it's, you just got your career started without having to go that traditional route of studying the whole uh, history of comics and all. And, and, you know, you said you watched them growing up, but you weren't. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I, you know, I definitely, you know, watch, I definitely watch other comics and, uh, you know, what, and, uh, you know, I'm familiar with comedians of the past. I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a historian of right. comedy, like, like some other comedians are who just can go, you know, can go back to comics from 80 years ago and, and recite there. And that's not, um, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I, I'm not going to be, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to be I'm quoting Mort Saul jokes. Um, right. You know. <laughs> well, Mort Saul, uh, you know, I knew Mort so a <laughs> little bit. Uh, he wasn't he, he wasn't really a jokester. He was a political guy who political humorist more than I. Well, I think he I don't think he would ever consider himself a stand up comedian. He was a political humorist. Where are you from originally? So I'm actually I'm originally from uh, Massachusetts. So okay, so why not Boston? And, and and I don't know. I just it seems like if you're originally from there, that would be the place you would pick. Why New York over Boston? Uh, sure. I mean, so when I was living in uh, in in Massachusetts, you know, growing up, but you know, lived there my whole life through uh, through high school. Um, as I said, it was stand up wasn't on my radar back then, and. Uh, you know, after high school and after college, eventually, like, I, I don't have any family that lives there anymore. Wow. Um, I, I mean, I have, you know, my, my roots just from growing up there, I feel a connection to the region. But I, again, I don't, I don't have any family that lives there anymore. And at this point, I, I have, a, I have immense respect for the, the history of the Boston comedy scene and all of the great comedians that have come out of there and the, you know, the sensibility. And I do think growing up um, in and around that city and those people and those people and those types of people probably did influence my sense of humor uh, to to some degree. Uh, you know, I think, you know, the combination of me growing up Jewish, but also growing up around all the Italians and Irish in Boston, you know, probably fused, you know, to create 
you know, that, that, that unique sense of humor. But if you're looking at the landscape now, just the, the scene in Boston, it's, it's just much smaller than the scene yeah. in New York. Which well, you're right. Yeah. About well, any city really compared to New York. Um, and there is a ceiling in Boston. So I just thought if I thought if I'm going to move to a new city and have to start over, I might as well move to the biggest city and start and, you know, and, and, and start over. Um, Cause it's going to be that situation really anywhere you go. Right. Uh, when, when you're moving from China, nobody knows who you are. <laughs> so funny. Uh, I think it, you have the most unusual backstory of any comedian I've talked to about how they, how they got started and the whole China connection is absolutely unique. You don't really um, overplay that in your stand, at least from what I could see. I don't see you overplaying it. You did mention one time uh, in one of the bits I saw about being bilingual and all that kind of stuff and used a little of it, but you don't overplay it and make it like a novelty, like I'm the, the Chinese American transplant type of guy and that's your act, that's, that's your brand. So Yeah. Um, I mean, I do have, um, it, you know, it obviously depends on the set I'm doing. Um, I do have a lot of jokes about it, but I personally, I try to stay, I try to stay away from either the, either the very, they're very obvious, like, oh, look, I'm the, the white guy in China. Like, I, yeah. I try to stay away from that whole thing. And uh, I, what I lean into more is since I, I lived there for so long and I had this perspective, I try to lean into more if there are jokes where I can bring a perspective on either like social issues or race that's different because I lived in China and I can talk about that from a different perspective or, you know, cause a lot of, you know, jokes about race and stuff, since we're in America, either focus on white versus black, which makes sense. Um, and I have jokes, you know, where I address things from that perspective, but then I'll also have jokes about race where I talk about, you know, race where you're talking about, you know, white people or Asian people. Cause right. that's, that's how I experienced race relations for a, a good portion of my life. Right. So uh, it's things like that. I try to, if I talk about China, I try to talk about it in ways that are either unique to my life or a step deeper than what, you know, people might initially think of. Cool. You know, you just reminded me of something the other day, cause uh, we were uh, the Jason Aldean song, try that in a oh. small town. And I went and I looked at, at my small town, uh, population of my town, according to everything we found on, on the internet, it's like 524 people, according to wow. the county government, according to the United States census, it said even less like 484 people. But then I know, and it said 145 houses. And I like, I counted on two blocks, 125 <laughs> houses. So I know it's wrong. But I was looking at the breakdown of all, all this stuff, and it said race, and it said black, this percent, African American, this percentage, white Caucasians, this percentage, Asians, this percentage, Native Americans, this percentage, mixed race, this percentage, other. And I was like, what other race? is not covered in Native Americans, uh, African Americans, uh, you know, it, went, it's, it covered all of them, and then they had other, and it still had 2% on there. Like, what hmm. are these people aliens? Or were they part of the uh, the invest uh, the congressional hearing yesterday? Aliens? I mean, what other race is there? It's bizarre. Yeah, uh, I don't know. That's, I know. Yeah. Very strange. Um, but, yeah, we do tend to think of in terms of black and white. You're, yeah. you're right. Now, everything I see, uh, and I shouldn't say everything, most of the 
today you're not in front of the black uh, the brick wall that I see you in front of. Yeah. Um, most of your life is spent in front of a brick wall. Now uh, it would appear that way from your Instagram page and all that stuff. But uh, are you doing those reels at one? Is that like a your home base for taping reels and, and internet con uh, content? Because it looks like the same brick wall in every single video. Um, so, I mean, there, there are a few different spots I have. So there, there are a couple, so one, one of the main places where a lot of the, uh, quite a few of those videos might've come from was actually the main club I was performing at towards the end of my time in China, where I filmed, uh, my most recent album. And so I've been, was interspersing clips from that album. Um, and then there are one or two other clubs here that I work that also have a brick wall that might be similar. Yeah, so, they all look the same, right? <laughs> so a couple of them, a couple of them might be uh, might be similar but different brick walls. And uh, then there are a couple other clubs I work here that definitely do not have definitely do not have brick walls that I post. Okay, uh, I, uh, you know I, that's why I said most of them. I I did see a few that didn't, but um. Uh, Goodbye Shanghai is the name of uh, the album, right? And that's on all the streaming services. Now you can go to Ben Frank Comedy and, and find it right there. Uh, but that was kind of a racist thing for me to say all brick walls look alike. Uh, <laughs> they all look the same to me. Um, yeah, so uh, now you're a road comic, though. You've been on the road. Uh, how is that? I mean, and how much are you just traveling the United States or are you doing internationally? Are you going to Canada? What are, what are you doing as far as road work? Um, at this point, mostly doing stuff in the United States, just because I, I spent, I spent so much time living abroad and outside of the United States. I'm trying to focus on building relationships and building a network inside of the U.S. Just because I, I wasn't here for so long, and I, I, I didn't have all that time to build up those connections before. So it's been mostly, been mostly traveling throughout the U.S. But yeah, when I moved here a couple of years ago, it's just starting over in the sense that I, I you know didn't have any like road connections or you know connections in new york here so it was uh, just 100 percent starting from uh basically nothing yeah uh you're very good i and i don't say that to to everybody just you know and i'm not blowing smoke i from what i've seen i think you're very good i expect the big things from you uh you know as far as career-wise and, and and notoriety and all that kind of stuff uh but you talk about your your special your album that's out um special and people call them specials all no matter what it is if they, whether it's special or not, <laughs> and call them special uh are you looking forward to doing uh, or any plans for doing a like long form video of like the album type thing that you you just put out so that um that album i i do have video of it uh that i filmed but uh, at the time that i recorded it um i wasn't really sure if that if I was going to put that out as an album, and then really, one the basically those were my farewell shows in Shanghai. That's why I called it Goodbye Shanghai. Um, so those were like my last shows that I did in Shanghai before I moved, and one of them in particular just turned out to be a, like a great show, like one of the best shows I've ever done, and one of the greatest crowds I've ever performed to, and it was so good that I was almost like I have to put this out, and right. plus. Since I was moving back, a lot of those jokes weren't going to make sense to keep doing anyway. And it was just nice to like turn the page and be like, I'm 
you know, I was going to do some of those jokes to like get me started in New York just to have some material. But within a few months, and especially once I put out the album, then I was just like, okay, I'm, now I'm only doing jokes I've written since I've moved to New York. I've totally turned the page. But um, so I put out, um, put it out as an audio album just because I was able to get someone to do the sound engineering to, you know, make the quality a little better. We all, so I filmed it. We only filmed it with one camera though. So it's not really great in terms of uh, long yeah. video to only have one camera. Um, so that's why I've been putting it out in clips just because if you have you know one camera for a, a one minute clip that's fine for an hour special one you know one right, it makes him editing almost impossible when you only have one cam camera no, you, you, you can't you can't do any editing and it and it just makes it boring for the um for the person watching i mean maybe at some point um, i wonder because you know i don't know if you're familiar with philip defranco who does uh youtube videos but philip defranco uses that max headroom style of like he's talking really fast and sharp cuts that you know are cuts but for for his audience they've become accustomed to that i wonder if that would may would work in comedy like if you did something like that and edited it like really Hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just, you right. made me curious about that. Uh, what is your status with the World Series of Comedy at, at this point? Are you going, are, are you in the next round or do you even know if you're in the next round, the next city or? Yeah. So like with the world, like the World Series of Comedy for like people who aren't involved in it, it's a little confusing in terms of how it works. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, I've asked uh, four times. I have Robert Taylor, who's a, co a right. contributor, and then I had Jason, who's, who, who is one of the judges. And I've oh. asked them, and they've both clarified it for me four times now, and I still don't understand, which is why I'm asking right. you. <laughs> yeah, no, the way I would explain it is it's it's two separate things. There's the main event in Las Vegas at the end of the season, the big, big main event. But then separate from that beforehand there are what are called satellite competitions. And they have 12 satellite competitions that tour around the country in different cities. Now, these two things are basically separate from each other, but they're related in a sense. The 12 satellite competitions are standalone competitions. I kind of think of them like stops on the PGA tour. Right. Like they're- Good analogy. Like they're connected to like a point system that, goes throughout the season but at the same time they're individual events so if you win uh you know the bell canadian open you won the bell canadian open regardless of how you do next week at the next at the next event right so the satellite competitions are like that they're held in these different cities and you can win those competitions outright or be a finalist a top three a semi-finalist or whatever and that's you know in stone if it happens then we go to the next satellite competition you're starting over in that competition that doesn't carry over from the previous one. But there is a point system associated with how well you do in each event. And then that, depending on how you do in each of the satellites, that can influence your ranking for the main event later on in the year and how you get seeded in that tournament. Right. And what round you get placed into, what show you get put on, and all of that stuff. All so right. it's confusing. They're related, but they are also separate things. Okay. A question though. Now is let's say you have the most points going into Vegas. Does that mean you open the show or headline or close the show? Or do you get to pick your spot? Cause I would think getting to pick it would be the prime 
uh, perp for wanting to get the most points. So that you, because I don't think either the opening spot or the last spot are, are the prime spots. You want to be kind of like right in the middle, right? Yeah, you usually want to be in the middle. Now, I don't think they, for those shows, I don't think they let you pick um, which, where in the lineup you go. But for these competitions, there is, um, like the first round is like called kind of the wild card round. And then there's the second round after that. If you get a certain amount of points, you have like an automatic buy into the second round and you get to bypass the wild card. Wow. So that that's kind of the reward. And sometimes depending on if you have a certain amount of points, maybe, or you have a preference with your schedule, maybe you can have preference for what night you go on. That's, but you don't know what other comedians are going to be on that night. You don't know where you're going to go in the lineup. So there's only so much you can control. Really the big thing for getting the points is to make sure um, that you get into the second round and don't have to go through the wild card. That's really. Okay. Have you benefited a lot from feedback and from the judges or uh, does that not really affect how you approach what you do? Uh, no, I, I definitely have benefited a lot um, from, you know, doing the competition and seeing what the judges have to say, because part of a competition like that or any competition is learning what the judges look for, because in every comedy competition, it's not the same. Some of the judges are looking for different things. And if you don't do well in the competition, doesn't always mean you, you're not a great comic, but you might have not done kind of what they're looking for or what they think is the best. Everyone has different tastes. So with these guys, with the World Series of Comedy, doing it more and more, if, when you get feedback from them or if you see how you do one time versus another time, you start to learn, oh, okay, they like they don't like when comedians do this or they do like when comedians do this. And then you start to kind of use that information to help you do better in the in the competition. Yeah, uh, my concern there is, and my uh, partner in my band does this often, he will play for an audience of one. Like, if he knows, he's trying to impress one one person in the room and rather than focus on the entire room. And I think that can really distract you from having your best performance. If you, if you have that in the back of your mind, like, this, I got to impress these judges you're going to be playing for the judges rather than playing for the audience a lot. Even just human nature, whether you're consciously doing that or subconsciously doing that, I think that yeah. happens. Yeah. No, no, that's a good point. And I do think there's a way to balance that where, you know, if you have a lot of material and you have a good act, you can go through your act and say, okay, I know all this stuff is good um, and this will do well or this should do well in front of an audience. But what's going to do well in front of an audience that's also going to go over favorably with these judges and right. kind of and kind of figure figure that out. But also, I will say, you know, for in particular with the World Series of Comedy, one thing, you know, no competition is perfect. But what I do give them credit for a lot of the time is in most of the rounds, they are not necessarily a slave to audience reaction. Um, a lot of a lot of comedy competitions, it, there's a lot of luck in terms of where you go in the lineup and they'll just look at, oh, who got the best audience reaction and put that person through. But the people at the World Series, they know sometimes audience reaction just depends on where in the lineup you went. Also, some audiences might not give a certain joke the credit that they think it deserves. They might look at you and be like, oh, 
we thought your jokes and your performance was better than this other person, even though that person got more reaction from the audience. Right. So I do give them credit in that respect that they do. Of course, you know, because uh, different audiences, different energy, different night, you can see that no matter if you're experienced enough and have been to enough comedy shows, you can see that audiences will react differently depending on the night, depending on the energy, depending on the room, all that kind of stuff to different comics. So you can't really gauge that by as much as we you know, if you're a novice at, at, at these kind of things, you would generally say, well, they laughed a lot louder for this guy, so he must be better. That's mm. not always the case. No. Um, uh, we have to say goodbye to Gov's uh, uh, comedy uh, podcast now. Uh, Gov's uh, book, Ben Frank. I mean, go to Ben Frank Comedy. Book him at the clubs on Long Island and oh. Six and Stones also. Get him in there. Uh, I love to do governors. That yeah. would be amazing. Yeah, I, and I would love to go, go see you there. So and now, uh, I, just a couple more minutes, and I will let you go. I appreciate you being here. You, and I, I'm not sure if I have this correct because I, I, you know, I haven't watched all of your material that's out there. But it struck me that you do some stuff that is sexual, adult, but I, I don't think I've heard a lot of profanity from you or, or any profanity from you. Uh, how would you? Because we were talking before about Jim Gaffigan's. Uh, problem with people calling him a clean comic and and doesn't mm. want he doesn't want to be referred to as a clean comic. You do stuff that is adult, some sexually oriented type of you know in you yeah you, know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But uh, I don't think you do profanity much. Do I have that correct? First of all, um, I definitely have some jokes where you know I will drop some profane words or some things that are you know some pretty explicit words, but at the same time, um, I, I guess I would say you're right in the sense that I do have a lot of, uh, probably quite a few jokes where the subject matter is perhaps more dirty than the language actually. Right. Is. Yeah. That's um, a better way to put it. Absolutely. And it, it's funny because I, I would, I would have this discussion with people when I was back in China or even since I moved here, and people would say stuff to me like, "Uh, oh, Ben, it'd be like, oh, Ben, like you're the you're a, you're a clean comic. And I'd be like, I'd be like, I, I just did 10 minutes about sex. I, how am I? How am I, how am I how, did you did you listen to any of it? <laughs> no, but you know what? Because I think that the profanity makes a difference. Uh, and I and I don't think I'm not you listen. I love uh, adult language. I, I, I can't basically get through a program without dropping that bomb but i think it gets overused by so many uh comedians that so many of them uh, especially ones who have not been in the game for 20 years they mm -hmm. rely on f-bomb so much that it becomes overused oversaturated then it becomes refreshing when you only hear it once or twice or don't hear it you know and you can you're able to talk about adult themed stuff without getting really profane about it and i think that's a a, a good a good uh tool to have in your craft uh, yeah. but i do think i get ja gaffigan's point about it's bad marketing to be known as a clean comic even if you are clean <laughs> well you know for it's interesting because for someone like him he he already has such a big audience you know he can get people to come to his shows and he and he can make if they already like him he can you know he can make money by you know selling out clubs and theaters i do think if you are an up-and-coming comic if you're not someone who has an audience 
and you're trying to figure out ways to make money. I do think it's beneficial to be known as a clean comic just because it makes mm. you more bookable, uh, whether it's for colleges, cruises, corporates, uh, you know, because if you're not famous and you can't draw, those are those are your ways to make money. Yeah. You know, when you uh, when you were first talking about your first experience with the uh, NBA China thing, I, I was thinking about corporate. It seems like corporate would be an easy transition for you. And for me, I can tell you corporate gigs can be not as fulfilling as like oh, yeah. clubs, but money wise. I mean, it can make it can make you you can get five or six corporate gigs and just live on that for a year uh, compared to what you get paid and doing comedy clubs or, or music clubs or any other kind of thing. Uh, have you done a, 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 some corporate work or is that uh, a little bit? I haven't done a whole lot. Again, it's like a building up the connections here. I would love to do more corporate stuff. I've had conversations you know, with people about college and cruise stuff, but I haven't, you know, gotten hooked up with that stuff yet. Or they, you know, they haven't wanted to, you know, they wanted to see more from me, but, you know, before taking me on, but I, I forget which comedian was that said this, but they basically said that uh, a, co a comedy club is where you get paid a little to kill and a corporate gig is where you get paid a lot to bomb. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Some of them are really stale. You have people sitting in folding chairs in a, like an auditorium space and they, they're like a hundred feet back from the stage. It's really, it, it, it feels disconnected. Oh yeah. But when you get to check, it's like, Oh man, I could definitely, uh, <laughs> I could get used to this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I appreciate that. Any uh, shows you want to let people know about before we say goodbye here coming up, you got any uh, gigs you want to, did sure. I freeze? Up? I guess uh, in the next, yeah, the next couple of days here, I will. So to yeah, tonight, uh, I will be at the the Grizzly Pear in Greenwich Village at eight o'clock. Uh, yeah, it's tonight, Thursday, and then uh, tomorrow night on Friday, I will be at St. Mark's Comedy Club uh, at eight and ten o'clock. Very cool. Uh, well, we got to get you out here on Long Island. Now, I'm on your homepage uh, on your website, Ben Frank Comedy. I d and I don't see like tour date or show dates on here anywhere. Do you not put them on your website? I mean, how do people find out? If, 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 to follow uh, you and know where you're going to be. Yeah, at at this point, often I I'll post stuff uh, on like my Instagram story or something. The I will try to post more for like tour dates outside of New York. The pro the problem with posting uh, a lot of things with shows in New York on on your website is that a, a lot of those things don't get booked that far in advance and they're always changing so you would have to just constantly constantly update things you need um, somebody doing it for you you need a kid who will work for free just to say when you make it big uh i you'll hire me as a real full-time employee you need a you need slave a kid slave labor that's what you need like some young well, girl who just loves you well <laughs> Well, unfortunately, in, in New York, the, well, the, the great thing about New York, but the unfortunate thing in terms of marketing the shows you're on is that you're doing so many shows in New York and you're doing, you know, eight minutes here, 10 minutes there. Uh, you can't go, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm guilty of this and not being the best at self-promotion a lot of the time, but it's really hard to market every show you do in New York hard when you're doing many shows a week. If you're going to one city and you're doing one headline show, you could be like, hey, I'm going to be in this city this night. I'm doing it. And you can make a big deal out of it. Whereas you're like, hey, if, if you're going to be at the same club in New York five times in a week, it's really hard to be like, hey, this is a really special show. You should come see this because I'm only going to be here four more times this week. 
right. uh, doing eight minutes or 10 minutes or 12 minutes. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, I personally, I should get better at posting my, uh, my, my, my shows and my, uh, I, you need somebody who uh, you need some, uh, some kid who's, who, who knows you're going to knows you're going to make it is sure you're going to make it and are willing to uh, be on your team for slave labor at this point just <laughs> for the future. Um, yeah. The failure show. Before I let you go, what is the failure show? Is a podcast? It's a uh, yeah. So I, it's a um, it's a podcast. I, I don't currently do it. It was a, it was a podcast I did um, years ago when I was still living in Shanghai uh, wow. with um, I had a co-host uh, this woman named uh, uh, Ida Knox, and we basically the yeah the two of us started this podcast, and the and the theme was we 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 interviewed people. Uh, every week uh and we would talk to them and it would center somewhat around uh big failures or setbacks they had in their in their lives and we, we would go through their life story kind of through that lens uh and with 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 that as as the framing all right the uh, episode is still up on ben frank uh .com. now i this is not, nobody cares about this but me but the intro music uh, last night i listened to an episode and they, there was intro music on i'm saying i know this song what is it i was beating myself up for an yeah. hour and i couldn't figure out where you got that what song is that from <laughs> that song is uh my favorite mistake by cheryl crow okay <laughs> thank you i mean that was driving me crazy i was like what what is what song is this and I, i'm waking up my wife and she's getting pissed off at me like it's it's one o'clock in the morning i said I, this song is in my head now and i can't figure <laughs> out so thank you for clearing it, that up you know it's funny because it was just last night or something i was listening to something some podcast about Cheryl Crow or whatever, and then that song came on, and then it was only then that I was reminded that I used it for my podcast. I had forgotten about it wow. for years. So then the fact that you brought this up now, I probably I probably would have had to think about it yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, a while if I hadn't just listened to the song. Wow. Uh very cool stuff. Well, I appreciate you being here. I wish you great success in this stuff. And uh I hope to see big things from you. I, I I'm not kidding one uh for the audience out there. I think you're one one of the people that really needs attention. People should keep their eye on you and I'm looking for big things from you. And and uh thank you for being here. Thanks for being part of the show. Have we froze up? Well, we froze up. All right, we're at perfect time timing with the fro froze up to say, say uh, goodbye to uh Ben. Bye, get Ben. I don't know if he can see me. He's froze up. Maybe his phone died. Anyway, great to see uh, Ben. Thank you for being part of the program. Anyway, um, Ben Frank, follow him at Ben Frank Comedy. Uh, support him. And again, I do think he is one of, one of the ones to watch in, uh, in comedy. One of the ones that, you know, we were talking about Mark uh, Norman earlier and the time it takes to actually make it in comedy comedy is one of the tough you, you can talk about music you can talk about film acting all that kind of stuff uh anything in the creative arts comedy is the one that you really takes years and years of paying you do looks like uh ben is about to pop if, if that means anything you know popping whatever that means to you i think he's one of the ones that will be in the uh you know collective consciousness of comedy fans uh, moving forward, good, good stuff from him. Check him out. Check out his Instagram uh, reels and uh, support him. Uh, don't have a show tonight. Tomorrow, just um, no guest booked for tomorrow. Actually, it's, it's basically a wrap up Friday because they have 
two shows tomorrow. I have an uh, afternoon show that I need to start getting ready for early in the morning. And then I have the evening show uh, with the full band in Lindenhurst, New York. So uh, we'll, we'll be uh, preparing for those and then busy weekend of gigs. I uh, look forward to seeing you tomorrow morning. Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your day. Uh, and questions and comments, you know, info at minddogtv.com, info at minddogtv.com. That's the show for you today. Thanks for coming. And don't forget to turn on your radio. Visit, visit benfrankcomedy.com. Bye for now.
to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.